be looking at uh, how can I know for sure that God is real? How can I know for sure? You, you may have some friends that don't believe in God. And, or they might have been started out like C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis and his writings. But C.S. Lewis, uh, he was an atheist. He did not believe. Uh, he wrote the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. You might have heard about that movie. <laughs> but uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. But he got to the point to where he said, you know what, it's going to take more faith to, be, to remain as an atheist than it would, will be to believe in God. Because he began to look at the evidence. And he began to look at the things that, that point to God. You may have never questioned, is God real? But you know what, there, there probably have been some moments in your life where you go, okay, God, if you're out there, if you're out there, would you make yourself known to me? We're going to look at several things today that how God has revealed himself to us in several ways to where I hope that you'll be able to, if you're one of those that doubt, that you'll leave here today knowing, yeah, man, I believe now that God is real. Or perhaps you might be able to leave here today going, you know what, if anybody ever asks me this question, then I can be able to explain it to them out of these things I've heard today that I know for sure that God is real. Okay, so we're going to begin the journey today by the first answer to this question of how can we know for sure that God is real is this. We look at creation. We look at the universe. I love this verse that is found in uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 20. And if you look at it with me here, Romans chapter 1 verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So even nature declares that there is a God. Where he even says in his word that, that man is going to be without excuse. excuse. And so there's another passage I want you to look at this very similar to this, but it speaks of the glory of, of the nature and the universe. It's found in Psalms chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. And I love this. It says, The heavens, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. I mean, when you wake up on a morning like this and you walk outside and you hear the birds singing, and you feel that cool air, and you feel like, ooh, I can breathe. I can breathe, and I'm not sweating profusely while I'm here in Georgia, and, and I'm able to walk across the yards, hear the birds chirping, and you can just, it just smells fresh, and the world smells great. It is declaring His glory. Day by day, it declares his glory. Go out on a clear night out in the country and look up in the stars at night and see. And do not the stars speak to you and tell you of the glory of God. You know, we go out there and we look at that and we get amazed. You may not realize that this, but you're, you're on a ball called the earth that's traveling through the universe at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour. 
by the time I go 1,001, one second, we would have traveled 19 miles through space. That quick, 19 miles we just went through space. You go, what, man, I'm sitting here. I don't feel like I'm moving. So if anybody ever says, what have you done today or where have you traveled, you can go, well, I went 1.6 million miles in one day around, around the sun because it takes, even at that pace, how big our universe is, just our Milky Way, even at that pace, it takes us 365 days to go around this sun just one time. Really 365 and a quarter. I'm giving you my math things that I go back to. But you don't even think about that, do you? 67,000 miles an hour you're traveling, and guess what? God created it in such a way that, yes, it was a little cool this morning, but it wasn't 200 degrees below zero, okay? And if we got a little bit closer to the sun, guess what? It gets hot in Georgia, and it gets up to 105, but it doesn't get up to 300 degrees. So God's created us and has us, and he's holding us in orbit at just the right place to keep this earth and to keep everything in motion. And we just go through each day and we wonder, is there a God? Is there a God? You know, we wonder if he can hold our lives together. Listen, if he can hold the universe together and does, and we don't think nothing about this on a daily basis, isn't that kind of an indicator that whatever we're going through, which may be big, but God can handle it. God is in control. He is, he, the universe declares it. I'm going to give you something that we, we studied about in, as I taught at Athens Tech, and it was the law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect says whatever begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. You know, if there, if there is an effect, there had to be a cause. And so what we're going to look at here is we know that this earth, this universe exists. So something exists. We can see it. We're on it. We live in it. And nothing cannot create something. Therefore, a necessary and eternal something exists. And I've, I've got several things here for you. Either you're going to believe in an eternal universe or either you're going to believe in an eternal creator. Because you can't have both. Either there's an eternal universe or an eternal creator. And let's look at some of the evidence here. We know something exists. You do not get something from nothing. Therefore, a necessary and eternal something exists. The only two options you have is eternal universe or eternal creator. So which do you choose? Even honest scientists have proven that the, the beginning of our known universe had an origin. They call it the Big Bang Theory. I happen to know who caused the bang. Amen? I happen to know. I don't know if you know, but according to Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says God said, let there be. Bang! That's how it started, y'all. <laughs> When God, who is eternal, has no beginning, has no end, has, has no time limit to him, and, and that, the, all of that is even beyond our comprehension and mind and even thinking, because we think time, space, and mind, and matter, and all that. But have you ever sat there before and said, well, 
Where did God come from? Anybody ever done that? Where did God come from? Have you ever questioned that, or am I the only one in the room? I mean, I've, I've sat there and I go, where did God come from? Well, who made God? Well, then I go, well, it, well, if whoever made God, then somebody had to be God to make God God. If that makes sense to you. <laughs> so if God, wh wherever you go back to, then you have to settle that God is beyond time, space, limits. He's eternal. And when God said, let there be, there was a bang and it began. And how do we know that the universe is not eternal? It's because we know it had an origin and we know that it is still expanding. Even to this day, our universe is still expanding out in space. And so that's scientific, honest scientific evidence points to that. So when you get to the conclusion, am I going to believe in the eternal universe? Well, that's been disproven. So therefore, I can look to an eternal creator. And so that's how you explain that to the someone who doesn't believe that, that in, if God is real in that regard. Okay? Everybody good with that? You like that answer? That's one of them. Here's another one. Through his word, the Bible. Well, that goes back to, well, I don't know. How do you know if the Bible's true? How do you know if the Bible is full of truths and it's not contradicting and all of that? I love that. I'll tell you this much about the Bible. The Bible is inspired by God. It was written by 40 different authors over a period of thousands of years who, never, who lived in different places. They never talked to one another except maybe the disciples talking to each other and coming into contact, but yet the Spirit moved them to put what we have together here. And what we have through his word is that we see that it starts out in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. So the Bible points to his existence, that God is real. He says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, he says, God said, I am that I am. Now, I like that. Well, who, who are we to say sent you? You just tell them I am. I am sent you. Now, that's a strong statement. I am that I am. And even when they questioned Jesus, he said all the great I ams, but he said before Abraham was born, I am. And they said, ah, oh, you're not even 50 years old. You're not even 50 years old. And he was pointing out that he was eternal as well. But the very word points to it. The word is going to last forever. Now, grass season has started, hasn't it? We've got to cut that grass. And it, it just keeps growing with all this good rain that we keep getting. And you know what? The grass is going to come and go. As much as I like to cut it, it's my therapy time. And somebody might say, well, come do some therapy at my house. Uh, you can come do all you want. But it is my, my therapy time. I just get out there don't think about nothing but cutting rows. But the grass is going to wither. And the beautiful flowers that are beginning to bloom are going to fade. But the Bible says that the word of the Lord will last forever. God has the final say. God's word is eternal. Now I want to give you another thing that is very important in scientifically to this. It's called the law of probability and fulfilled prophecy. The law of probability and fulfilled prophecy. 
In the Bible, there's 1,093 prophecies of Jesus in the church. That's quite a few, isn't it? A thousand, over a thousand. The Old Testament alone, there are 48 prophecies that deal with the six hours that Jesus was on the cross. Wow, I didn't realize that. 48 deal with his crucifixion. Several prophets spoke through times, different times, different places. Now here's an interesting thing when it comes to statistics and probability. How many of y'all in the room love math? Okay, how many of you hate math? Golly, more hate math than they love it. Well, as a math teacher, I used to tell people, you have to love math. You can't go in there going, I hate it, because it will defeat you if you hate it. You've got to learn to embrace it. Why? I tell people all the time, math, the numbers never lie to you. People will lie to you. But the numbers will never lie to you. And so the numbers speak. Here's the numbers. Just think, there's 48 prophecies of his crucifixion. The chance of Jesus fulfilling eight of them is one to 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you don't know what that means, let me refresh your mind. That's multiplying one times 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Now, I can count up to the trillions and the quadrillions, but 17 zeros, that's getting on out there to a number that's beyond me. Okay? And Jesus has fulfilled thousands of those prophecies. So the law of probability and fulfilled prophecies, it would be like this. I will, you may have heard this. Some of you may not. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's a great illustration. It would be like taking one silver dollar and taking the state of Texas. I did a little Google and I said, well, how many acres are in the state of Texas? Anybody want to guess? Everybody says everything's bigger in Texas. How many acres do you think Texas has? We got 14 and a half acres on Perry Smith Road. Texas, I thought I read it was a little over 170 million acres in just the state of Texas. All right? Take, the chances of that happening would be taking one silver dollar, and taking the state of Texas and filling it two feet high with silver dollars. Two feet deep, silver dollars. Getting in an airplane, flying over the state, and dropping that one silver dollar with an X on it into that 170-something million acres, and then stirring it two feet deep, and then blindfolding a man and have him walk out there and randomly, in that 170-something million acres, stoop down and pick up the one that has an X on it. Listen, that sucker ain't going to never win the lottery, okay? <laughs> he won't ever win the lottery. That's the chances. That's the word picture of fulfilling eight of them. Just eight. Listen, that's evidence right there that demands a verdict. And the evidence would suggest, man, that's just not going to happen. The chances if you find it in one acre at two feet deep, blindfolded, is, is astronomical, but 170-something million acres. 
But yet Jesus fulfilled it. Well, here it comes down to this. How important is the word by being an answer? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. So it, in essence, C.S. Lewis was right. It would take more faith to remain as an atheist than it would to deny that God is real from this evidence that he had seen. But we're not done yet. Here's another answer. How do we know for sure that God is real? Through his son, Jesus. Through his son, Jesus. God wasn't satisfied just to, to watch and see what we went through in this life. God did something about it, and he sent his son, Jesus. Born of a woman, born of a virgin. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus. And the word was with God. Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit, and the Word was God. So you have, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus steps into the scene. Jesus is one of the evidences of us knowing that God is real. He said to Philip and them, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Philip said, show us the Father. And he said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because Jesus was the revealed revelation of who God is. The example of that. And listen, for Jesus to live his life and do what he did, he had 12 people that followed him. One was a traitor, Judas. And after he did what he did, he went out and hung himself. And, and John, the beloved disciple, was sent in exile on an island and died there but you know there were 10 of those disciples that died because of believing in Jesus and following him so it's been said Jesus was either a liar a lunatic or either he's Lord the liar part would be Jesus he knew he wasn't God but that he said he was so that would make him a liar if he knew he wasn't God, but yet he said he was God, that would make him a liar. If he, if he knew he was God, or if he, if he said he wasn't God, and he didn't know it, that would make him a lunatic. But if he truly was God, and he said he was God, that would make him Lord. You know, I gave the religions last week. And of all the religions, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, you take jo Joseph Smith with the Mormons. You take uh, Russell with Jehovah's Witness. You take any of them. None of their prophets ever claimed to be God. Only Jesus did. Jesus claimed to be God. And he's the only one that also died and rose again from the dead. And after he did that, he appeared to over 500 witnesses that saw him alive. That's proof right there, y'all. That's another answer of knowing. How do I know that, that God is real? Well, he became flesh. He dwelt among us. He provided the way when there wasn't any other way. Man, that is strong evidence. But here's perhaps the final one I'm going to give you this morning is the most subjective, but it's probably the most powerful, and that is through personal experience. How do you know that God is real? Because... 
You can go to somebody and say, I know he's real because he lives in me. <laughs> I know he's real because he's changed my life. I know what he did for me. I know what happened to me. I know I was dead and then I, I asked him to come in and he took over and he changed my life and I'm different than what I was. I know that. And you see, that's subjective to some people. But to someone who has experienced it, it is real. How do I know he's real? Because he lives in me. You know, I love this passage that is found uh, in the book of Galatians chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, turn there and look at it with me. Galatians chapter 1. And this is coming from a person who had his life radically changed by God. Because this individual was named Saul, and he was on a journey to Damascus to persecute believers and Christians. And he saw a blinding light in the middle of the day that was greater than anything he'd ever seen. And he fell off, he fell to the ground and was blinded. And he cried out, who are you, Lord? And he heard a voice out of heaven saying, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Saul became Paul. And his life was forever changed. And guess what he says here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He says, but when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to do what? To reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Paul, Saul who became Paul, God called him, set him apart. And you know what? He went away for three years and he got all of that teaching that he'd been trained out of him and the Spirit taught him for three years in the desert. And he came back and the rest is history of how God used this man through personal experience. Let me ask you a question. Have you seen a difference in your life? Has there been a change? This has always been said. If there is no change, there is no Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit will change you. I didn't say, are oh, you perfect? Good Lord, you're married to somebody. You know they're not perfect. Amen? Look at your neighbor and go, I'm, I know you're not perfect. Just look at your neighbor and just tell them, I know you're not perfect. But then say, but I, I love you anyway. I love you anyway. Just do it, all right? But here's the deal. There's a difference. You know, I know that I'm a whole lot better at parenting right now than I was 15 years ago. Okay? That's why they call us grandparents at this point. We figured it out. All right? But early on, I made a lot of mistakes. I did. I still make some. But here's the deal. When we've changed, I thank God that I'm not who I used to be. And I know I'm not reached it yet. But I love the process of being changed into the image of his son. Isn't that great to know? I love the song, He's Still Working On Me. The little kids sing it all the time. To make me what he wants to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and stars, sun and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. 
And listen, if God only took six days to create everything, and yet he's had you here for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, aren't you glad he's still working on you? He's not finished with you yet. He loves you. But he's still got you here to be able to answer some questions in people's lives that need an answer. Is God real? I hope you've come away with today with knowing a few reasons. But the most important answer you can ever tell them, he's changed my life. Let me tell you how he did it. Let's pray. Father, there's someone in the room right now that's going, wow, I heard that, and I want my life to be changed right now. Listen, friend, all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, believe by faith, and trust.